Part 2 Western Pennsylvania Frontier, 1710 Chapter 12 Sometimes I think this family is cursed, Benjamin Fear muttered. Pulling his chair closer to the long dining table, he shook his head unhappily, his disheveled white hair glowing in the fading evening light that filtered through the window. You are starting to sound like a crotchety old man, father, Edward said laughing. I am a crotchety old man, Benjamin declared with pride. How can you say we are cursed? Benjamin's brother, Matthew, demanded, sniffing the aroma of roast chicken as he entered the room. Look how our farm has prospered, Benjamin. Look how our family has grown. I can see that you have certainly grown, Benjamin teased. Matthew had become quite stout. As he took his place at the table, everyone could see that his linen shirt was stretched tight around his bulging middle. Uncle Benjamin, are you teasing my father again? Mary Fear scolded. Matthew's daughter Mary set a serving platter of potatoes and string beans in front of Matthew. Well, don't you look like Queen Anne herself? Benjamin roared at Mary. Mary blushed. I put my hair up. That is all. Mary was seventeen. She had long copper-colored hair, as did her mother, Constance Fear. She also had her mother's creamy, pale complexion and shy smile. She had her father Matthew's dark, penetrating eyes. Why do you scold Mary? Constance demanded of Benjamin, sweeping into the room, holding the platter of roast chicken in front of her long white apron. Mary worked all afternoon peeling potatoes and snapping the beans for your dinner. I also picked the beans, Mary added grumpily. He was only teasing, Cousin Mary, Edward said. Weren't you, Father? Benjamin didn't reply. He had a faraway look clouding his dark eyes. He stared at the narrow window. Father? Edward repeated. Benjamin lowered his eyes to his son with a frown. Were you addressing me? He barked. Speak up. I'm an old man, Edward. I cannot abide mutterers. Where is Rebecca? Matthew demanded, his eyes searching the long, narrow dining table. Rebecca, Edward's beautiful young wife, always seemed to be the last to the table. I believe she's tenting Ezra, Edward told his uncle. Your son has been troubled since the day he was born, Benjamin grumbled. His booming voice had become raspy and harsh. Ezra is a difficult child, Edward admitted to his father, accepting the platter of chicken, but I believe you go too far. I'm his grandfather. I can go as far as I please, Benjamin bellowed unpleasantly. If you don't like my remarks, Edward, go eat your dinner at your own house. He pointed out the window toward Edward's house across the pasture. Hush, brother, Matthew instructed, raising a hand for peace. Let us enjoy our dinner without your usual sour complaints. Rebecca entered, pulling Ezra behind her. It was evident from Ezra's wet eyes that he'd been crying. Ezra was six, but acted as if he were much younger. Rebecca, sighing wearily, lifted him into a chair and told him not to squirm. Rebecca had straight black hair pulled back from a high forehead, olive green eyes, and dramatic dark lips. She had been a high-spirited, giggly girl when she married Edward but six years of mothering Ezra and helping out on the farm had brought lines to her forehead and a weariness to her voice. Will you eat some chicken now, Ezra? she asked. No, the boy shouted, crossing his arms defiantly in front of his chest. He has a strong will. He is a true fear, Benjamin growled approvingly. I am not, Ezra cried peevishly. I am Ezra. That is all. Everyone laughed. Rebecca dropped a chicken leg onto the boy's plate. Eat your dinner, she instructed softly. What a fine family we are, Matthew said happily, patting his large belly. 
Look around this table, Benjamin. Look at our children and grandchildren. And think of our prosperous farm and trading store. How can you say this family is cursed? Benjamin chewed his food slowly before replying. Cursed, he muttered after swallowing. The new roof shingles. Edward finished putting them up just last week, and last night that thunderstorm washed away half of them. Is that not a curse? Edward chuckled. Only a few shingles were blown off, father, he said, reaching for his pewter water cup. There will still be light after dinner. I will go up on the roof and examine it closely. I am certain it is but a minor repair. Cousin Edward, it will be too dark, Mary warned. Can it not wait until tomorrow? Mary and Edward were more like brother and sister than cousins. Mary was also close to Edward's wife, Rebecca. There were few young people in the village for Mary to befriend. She had only her family to turn to for companionship. There will be light enough to examine the shingles, Edward assured her, helping himself to more string beans. He smiled at Mary. Do not fret. Wipe your uncle's words from your mind. There is no curse on the Fear family. The only curse around here is my crotchety old father. The family's laughter rose up from the long dining table. It floated out the window, out of the two-story stone house, to reach the ears of a white-bearded man in ragged clothes, who was hidden behind the fat tree trunk of an old oak tree, just beyond Mary's small flower garden. Careful to keep out of view, the man leaned toward the sound of laughter, the sleeve of his worn coat pressed against the rough bark. His tired eyes explored the steep-shingled roof of the sturdy farmhouse. Then he lowered his gaze to the window where the tangy aroma of roast chicken floated out. The man's stomach growled. It had been a while since he had eaten, but he was too excited to think about food now. Too excited to think about his long journey, a journey of years. He could feel his heart pound beneath his thin shirt. His breath escaped in noisy wheezes. Such rapid breathing, his sides began to ache. He gripped the tree trunk so tightly his hands hurt. At last, he whispered to the tree. At last! A whispered cry of joy, of triumph. The white-haired man was William Good. For almost twenty years I have sought this moment, he thought, staring intently at the flickering light through the window, listening to the chime of voices inside. For twenty years I have searched the colonies for the fears, my enemies. At last I have found them. At last I can carry out my curse. At last I can avenge my wife and daughter. I have found the fears. And now they will suffer as I have suffered. All of them, one by one. He heard the clatter of dishes, the scrape of chairs. Then, to his surprise, the door opened and a young man came out of the house, followed by several others. With a gasp, William pulled his head back out of view and pressed himself even tighter against the tree's ragged bark. The sun was low behind the trees. The sky was a wash of pink and purple, quickly darkening. From his hiding place, William Good squinted hard, struggling to recognize the faces of those he had hunted for so many years. He had somehow expected them to look the same. Now he stared in surprise to see the changed faces and bodies. Can that be Edward Fear? he asked himself, watching the young man prop a wooden ladder against the side of the house. Edward was but a boy when I last saw him. Now he has become a sturdy young man. And that white-haired man stooped over his walking stick? William squinted hard. Can that be Benjamin Fear? He has aged badly, William decided. Back in Wickham, he was tall and broad-shouldered, a man as powerful as his booming voice, and now his shoulders are hunched, and he leans heavily on the stick with a trembling grip. All the better to help you topple into your grave, Benjamin Fear, William Good thought with a grim smile. I still have my powers, William thought with satisfaction, 
and I plan to use them now. Recognizing Benjamin's brother Matthew, William nearly laughed out loud. Why, he has become as fat as one of his cows, William declared to himself. Look how he struts with his belly hanging out. You will strut to your grave, Matthew, William decided. Feeling a wave of bitterness sweep over him, it will be a painful journey for you, Matthew. You will beg for death, but I will make your death agonizing and slow, for you are my betrayer. You are the one who robbed me of my money and my family. William couldn't have known the little boy who was scampering through the flower garden, unheedful of the blossoming flowers, nor did he recognize the copper-haired young woman who held the side of the ladder. What fine linen shirts the men all wear, thought William bitterly and the girls' dresses of the most expensive fabric. What are the young people's names? Are they the children or the grandchildren of the Fear Brothers? It doesn't matter, he thought, closing his eyes, a broad smile hidden behind his scraggly mustache and beard. It doesn't matter what your names are. You are Fears, and all Fears shall start to suffer now. All. Chapter 13 The sun is nearly down, Mary told her cousin, gripping the sides of the ladder. There is enough light, Edward insisted. Move away. I am only going up for a moment. But the shingles are still wet from the rain, Mary insisted. Wait until morning, Edward. Please. I shall be down in a moment, Edward said stubbornly. Why do you always treat me as if I'm Ezra's age, Mary? Why do you always insist on being so reckless, Mary replied. It's as if you have to show off to Uncle Benjamin and my father. You have nothing to prove to them, Edward. Maybe I have things to prove to myself, Edward muttered. Now please, cousin, allow me to make my inspection of the shingles before the moon is up. Mary obediently took a step back. May I hold the ladder in place for you? She asked as Edward began to climb. You know you should be in a kitchen helping Rebecca and your mother clean the dinner dishes. Mary groaned and rolled her eyes. I am seventeen, cousin Edward, she said sharply. I am not a girl. I am a woman. Your place is still in the kitchen, Edward called down. He had reached the roof and was edging his way off the ladder. It appears much steeper up here than it did down on the ground, he said. Mary backed up a few paces to see him better. The sun had disappeared. Edward was a dark figure against an even darker sky. Please be careful, Mary called. You're up so high, and it's so dark, and... Her voice caught in her throat as Edward's arms shot up. She saw his legs buckle and his body tilt. And then she opened her mouth wide and began to scream as she realized Edward was falling, falling headfirst to the ground. Chapter 14 Edward hit the ground with a sickening crack. The horrifying sound split the air, louder than Mary's screams. The sec a second later, another scream burst from the house. Matthew came hurrying from the toolhouse at the end of the garden, followed by Benjamin, hobbling as fast as he could with his walking stick. Rebecca was the first from the house, with Constance right behind her. Mary, her hands pressed against her face, hurried to Edward, diving beside him on the dark ground. Edward? He gazed up at her lifelessly, a startled expression frozen on his face. Edward? He blinked, swallowed hard, took a noisy, deep breath. My arm, he whispered. Mary lowered her gaze to his left arm, buried beneath his body at an unnatural angle. She gasped. I can't move it, Edward whispered. You broke it, Mary told him, gently placing a hand on his chest. What happened? Benjamin cried breathlessly, still struggling to get to the house. Is Edward injured? Matthew demanded. Edward, can you get up? Constance asked softly. Mary turned and raised her eyes to her mother and Rebecca. 
Oh, mother, she cried in horror, her mouth dropping open in disbelief. The front of Constance's dress was splattered with blood. I, I... Constance lowered her gaze. She held up her hand. Blood poured down her arm. I was cleaning the carving knife when I heard you scream, Mary, she explained. The sound startled me. The knife slipped and... She hesitated. I shall be fine. I just... Let us get you into the house, Mary cried, jumping to her feet. We have to stop the bleeding. As Mary led her mother back to the kitchen, Matthew and Rebecca lifted Edward to his feet. With his good arm around Rebecca's shoulders, Edward took a few unsteady steps. I think I can walk, Edward said, his jaw clenched against the pain. But my arm! It is badly broken, I fear. Leaning heavily on his walking stick, Benjamin Fear watched them walk off, shaking his head. Cursed, he growled to himself. The whole family is cursed. The harsh crowing of roosters woke Mary at dawn. Gray light filtered through her tiny bedroom window. The air in the room felt hot and heavy. She pulled herself up slowly, not at all rested. The back of her shift stuck to her skin. What a horrid night, she thought, stretching, her shoulders aching. I don't think I slept an entire hour. I just kept picturing Edward lying on the ground in a heap. I kept hearing a crack as his arm broke, and I kept seeing the blood pouring down Mother's arm. I tied Mother's wrist as tightly as I could, but it seemed to take forever to stop the flow of blood. Meanwhile, Edward howled in pain as Matthew struggled to set the broken arm. Ezra was screaming and crying in the corner. Poor Rebecca didn't know which of her family to comfort, Edward or Ezra. Finally, a sling was fashioned for Edward from a bolt of heavy linen. Rebecca led her family back to their house, Ezra's frightened wails ringing through the air. What an unfortunate night. Mary lowered her feet to the floor, then made her way to the dresser, squinting against the gray light. Why do I have this feeling, she wondered. Why do I have this dark feeling that our bad luck isn't over? Mary returned from the hen house after breakfast, a large basket of white and brown eggs pressed against the front of her long white apron. The sun was just climbing above the trees, but the air was already hot and sticky. Puffy clouds hovered overhead. A rooster crowed. Somewhere in the direction of the barn, a dog barked in reply. Mary walked with her head lowered, her copper hair flowing down her back nearly to the waist of her linen dress. She nearly dropped the egg basket when a strange voice behind her called out, Uttering a short cry of surprise, Mary spun around and stared into the sky-blue eyes of a smiling young man. He grinned at her, his eyes lighting up as if enjoying her surprise. Oh, uh, hello, Mary stammered. I didn't see you. She realized she was staring at him. He was a good-looking boy, about her age, maybe a year or two older. Above his sparkling blue eyes, he had heavy blonde eyebrows on a broad, tanned forehead. The skin beside his eyes crinkled when he smiled. He had wavy blonde hair, the color of butter, which fell heavily down to his collar. He wore a loose-fitting white shirt, the front open nearly to his waist, over Indian-style deerskin breeches. His boots were worn and covered with dust. "'I am sorry to trouble you,' he said, still grinning, his eyes locked on hers. "'I am looking for the owner of this farm.' "'That would be my father,' Mary replied, turning her gaze to the house. "'Matthew Fear, is your father around?' The young man asked, the morning sunlight making his blonde hair glow golden. I believe so. Follow me, Mary replied shyly. He reached out and took the egg basket from her. I'll carry it for you, he said, smiling pleasantly at her. It looks heavy. I carry it every morning, Mary protested, but she allowed him to take the basket. We have a lot of chickens. It's a very big farm, the boy said, 
gesturing to the far pasture with his free hand. His boots crunched loudly over the hard ground. My father and I settled here recently. We live in a small cabin outside the village. I don't think I've ever seen a farm this big. Mary smiled awkwardly. My father and uncle came here before I was born. The farm has been growing ever since. What is your name, miss? The boy asked boldly, his blue eyes flashing. Before Mary could answer, Matthew appeared, lumbering out the back door. His flannel shirt hung loose over his big belly. His knee breeches had a stain on one knee. Matthew yawned loudly and stretched his hands over his head. Then he noticed a young man holding the egg basket beside Mary. Oh, Matthew said, furrowing his brow and clearing his throat. And who might you be? Matthew's brusqueness didn't seem to bother the young man. Good morning, he said with a confident smile. My name is Jeremy Thorne, sir. And what might your business be, Jeremy Thorne? Matthew asked. Has Mary hired you to be her egg carrier? Jeremy laughed, even though Matthew's remark wasn't terribly funny. No, sir, he replied cheerfully, but I have come to your farm in search of work. Matthew Fear stared rather unpleasantly at Jeremy. I regret to say I'm not looking for farm help right now, he told Jeremy. If you would kindly... Matthew was interrupted by Edward, perspiring from his walk across the pasture from his house. Wait a moment, Uncle Matthew, Edward cried. He raised his free hand to halt the conversation. Startled, Matthew turned to his nephew. Good morning, nephew. Does the arm give much pain this morning? Enough, Edward replied dryly, glancing at his arm, suspended in the sling. I overheard your conversation with this young man, Uncle Matthew. I do believe we need an extra hand. He gestured to his heavy sling. You have lost my services for a while, Edward continued. I believe this boy's timing is perfect. He can take some of my tasks, until my arm is healed. Matthew rubbed his chins thoughtfully his eyes trained on Jeremy. Maybe, he muttered reluctantly. Where do you come from, boy? From the village, Jeremy replied, eyeing Edward's sling. My father and I settled here recently. My father is ill, sir. I am our sole support. No sad stories, please, Matthew cut him off, still rubbing his many chins. Matthew studied him. You look strong enough. Jeremy raised himself to his full height, throwing back his broad muscular shoulders. Yes, sir, he said quietly. Mary stood stiffly, watching them all. She wanted to urge her father to hire Jeremy, but she knew better than to utter a word. It was not her place. Matthew nodded. All right, Jeremy Thorne. You may begin by cleaning out that tool house. He pointed to the low wooden structure behind the garden. Pull all the equipment out. We plan to build a bigger one. Thank you, sir, Jeremy exclaimed happily. I am very grateful. And my pay? Ten shillings a week,' Matthew replied quickly. "'But let us see what kind of worker you are "'before we can begin to think of you as more than temporary help.' "'Very good, sir,' Jeremy said. "'He glanced quickly at Mary. "'She felt a shiver at the back of her neck. "'He's so good-looking,' she thought, lowering her eyes to the ground. "'All kinds of thoughts raced through her mind. "'Surprising thoughts, exciting thoughts. "'But, of course, father would never approve of anything "'between a mere farmhand and me,' she realized. Stopping the flow of wild thoughts in midstream, Jeremy Thorne. Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy. She couldn't stop his name from repeating in her mind. Her heart pounding, Mary took the egg basket from Jeremy and hurried to the house. The talk at lunch was of the dreadful mishaps of the night before. Poor Edward. Poor Constance. They all lowered their heads in prayer before starting their soup. Mary couldn't stop thinking about Jeremy. All morning long, as she'd done her many kitchen chores, she had sneaked peeks at him from the door. 
she saw that he was proving to be as hard a worker as he had claimed. At the back of the garden, she could see the pile of tools and heavy equipment he had dragged out of the toolhouse. She watched him working alone back there, lowering his head to enter the structure, then appearing again with another handful of items. Mary, what are you daydreaming about? her mother demanded, breaking into Mary's thoughts after lunch as they began washing the dishes. Nothing at all, really, Mary lied, blushing. You barely said a word at lunch. I watched you, Constance said. You hardly touched your soup. I wasn't hungry, I guess, mother, Mary replied dreamily. Please stop gazing out into the garden and help me with the dishes, Constance ordered. You see, I have only one hand. Go rest, mother, Mary insisted. I will clean the dishes by myself. After the dishes were washed and put away, Mary picked up a basket and headed out to the garden to pick vegetables for the evening meal. The sun blazed down. Mary could see waves of heat rising off the near pasture. As she bent to pull up some turnips, a movement at the back of the garden caught her eye. Jeremy was emerging, drenched with sweat, pulling out several heavy iron hoes and rakes. On an impulse, Mary dropped her vegetable basket to the dirt and hurried to the well at the side of the house. A few seconds later, she was standing in front of Jeremy, a tall pewter mug of cold well water in her hands. Here, she said, thrusting the mug at him. I thought you might be thirsty. He smiled at her, breathing hard. His blonde hair was matted flat to his forehead. He had removed his shirt, and his smooth, muscular chest glistened with sweat. You're very kind, Miss Fear, he said. He raised the mug to his lips and, keeping his blue eyes on her, thirstily gulped several mouthfuls. Then he tilted the mug over his head and dumped the rest on his hair. It poured over his hair and face and onto his tanned shoulders. They both laughed. You may call me Mary, she told him shyly, feeling her cheeks redden. You are a very hard worker, she added quickly. Her remark seems to please him. I believe in doing a job well, he replied seriously. My father and I, we have always been poor. My father's health has never been good, so I have known hard work since I was barely out of swaddling clothes. Mary gazed over his shoulder toward the rolling green pasture. I work hard too, she said wistfully. There is so much to do on a farm this size. It is an admirable place, Jeremy said, turning to follow her gaze. It is very lonely here, Mary said suddenly. She hadn't planned on saying it. The words escaped before she could stop them. Her cheeks suddenly felt as if they were on fire. She lowered her eyes to the dirt. Do you have friends in other farms? Jeremy asked softly. Friends in town? Church friends? No, I have my family. That is all, Mary said sadly. She cleared her throat. But... I have so many chores that I am usually too busy to think about friends, and— You're very pretty, Jeremy interrupted. Startled by the compliment, Mary looked up to find his blue eyes staring intently at her. I like your hair, he said softly. It is the color of sunset. Thank you, Jeremy, Mary replied awkwardly. He took a step toward her, his eyes locked on hers. What is he doing? Mary asked herself, feeling her heart start to pound. Why is he staring at me like that? Is he trying to frighten me? No, he's going to kiss me, Mary realized. She started to take a step back, to move away, but she stopped. He's going to kiss me, and I want him to. Mary? A voice behind her made her cry out. She turned to see Rebecca running through the garden, waving to her wildly with both arms, her white apron flapping at the front of her dress as she ran. Jeremy thrust a mug back at Mary, then turned and headed quickly toward the toolhouse. Rebecca, what is the matter? Mary demanded gripping the empty pewter mug in both hands. Have you seen Matthew? Edward? Where are they? Rebecca cried. 
her features twisted in fear. Rebecca, what is the matter? Mary repeated. Come quickly, Mary, Rebecca insisted, grabbing Mary's arm. Please, come. Something horrible has happened. Chapter 15 With Rebecca's shrill, frightened cry still ringing in her ears, Mary raced after her through the garden to the house. This way, Rebecca shouted breathlessly, running through the kitchen and into the sitting room. It took Mary's eyes a while to adjust to the sudden darkness. She guessed out loud when she saw Benjamin sprawled stiffly on his back on the floor. Look, that is how I found him, Rebecca cried, pointing with a trembling finger. Her black hair had come undone and fell in disarray over her shoulders. Her dark lips formed an O of horror as she stared at the fallen man. Mary dropped to her knees beside Benjamin. Is he... Is he, she stammered, is he dead, Rebecca? She peered into Benjamin's face. His eyes were frozen in a glazed, wide-eyed stare. His mouth hung open loosely, revealing two rows of perfect teeth. I, I think so, Rebecca replied in a whisper. Then she ran back to the doorway, shouting, Matthew, Matthew, Edward, come quickly. Mary reached for Benjamin's hand and squeezed it. It was as cold as ice. She swallowed hard gaping down into the blank, dark eyes that stared lifelessly up at her. I've never seen a dead person, she thought. What's happening, Rebecca? Edward had appeared in a doorway. I heard you calling, and... He lowered his eyes to the floor. Father? He he must have been sitting there, Rebecca stammered, pointing to the high-backed chair against the wall. He must have fallen, I think. Father! Edward cried again, and dropped beside Mary. Is he breathing? I don't think so, Mary said softly. I think... She and Edward both cried out at once as Benjamin blinked. Father! Uncle Benjamin! He blinked again. His lips quivered. His mouth slowly closed. He's alive, Mary told Rebecca happily. Rebecca let out a long sigh and closed her eyes. Slumping against the wall, she began whispering a prayer. Benjamin raised his head groggily. Lie still, Father. Take your time, Edward urged, a hand on Benjamin's shoulder. I am able to rise, Benjamin insisted gruffly. Let me up. Edward moved his hands behind Benjamin's shoulders and helped him to sit up. Uncle Benjamin, what happened? How do you feel? Mary asked. I must have been dozing, Benjamin growled, shaking his head, blinking several times to clear his eyes. Fell from the chair, I guess. Matthew burst into the room, breathing hard, his round face bright red from the exertion of hurrying. Was someone calling me? he asked breathlessly. He cried out when he saw his brother on the floor. I am fine, Benjamin told him. Do not get hysterical. He started to climb to his feet, then hesitated. His expression turned to surprise. Uncle Benjamin, what is it? Mary asked, still on her knees beside him. The others drew near. My left leg, Benjamin muttered. I can't move it. He moved his right leg, drawing it up, then making the foot roll from side to side. I have no feeling, Benjamin said, sounding more startled than worried. No feeling at all in the left leg. Glancing up, Mary watched as her father grasped the odd three-toed medallion he wore around his neck. How strange, Matthew declared. Edward, help me to my feet, Benjamin ordered. Edward obediently wrapped an arm around his father's shoulders and with great difficulty hoisted him to his feet. Benjamin's eyes narrowed as he tried to put weight on his left leg. He would have fallen if Edward and Mary hadn't caught him. No feeling in the leg at all, Benjamin said thoughtfully. It does not hurt. There is no pain. It does not feel like anything. It is as if the leg has been taken away from me. Wisps of clouds floated low in the bright sky. The white trunks of the beech trees at the end of the pasture 
gleamed in the late afternoon sunlight. Mary stepped along at the edge of the woods, lifting her skirt over low shrubs and rocks. Above her, the leaves trembled in a soft breeze. She turned where the trees ended and felt the blood pulse at her temples as Jeremy came into view. He was working shirtless as usual, his back to her, tugging with gloved hands at a tangle of brambles at his feet. She crept closer. The tree leaves appeared to tremble harder. Or is it my imagination, Mary wondered. Is it just my excitement? For three days, Jeremy had been working to clear the brambles from this new section of land. Each afternoon, Mary had met him there. She brought him water from the well. Jeremy would take a break from his solitary efforts. They would sit together on a fallen tree trunk and talk. Jeremy was so sweet, so understanding, so kind, Mary came to believe. She could feel herself growing close to him. She could feel herself beginning to fall in love with him. The feeling swept over her gently, almost like pulling on a favorite wool cloak. Comfortable, reassuring, warm. I feel as if I've known you all my life, she told him. After he had finished the mug of cold water, her eyes trailed a gold and black butterfly as it fluttered near the trees. Sitting beside her on the smooth tree trunk, he kicked the soft dirt with the heel of one boot. Every afternoon I worry that you won't come, he said softly. Here I am, she replied, smiling. But if your father found out, Jeremy started, staring into her eyes as if challenging her, a wave of blonde hair tumbling over his forehead. Mary's smile faded. My father would not approve, she admitted. After all, you are only a poor farmhand without a shilling, and I... You, you were royalty, Jeremy choked. But there is a bitterness behind the joke. Queen Anne. He rose to his feet and dipped his head in a courtly bow. Mary giggled. Please stop. I am sure that after time... Time, Jeremy muttered. His eyes went to the thick brambles that rolled over the rocky ground. Time for me to get back to work, he said. Your father has instructed me to clear this field before the week is out. My father is not the true snob of the family, Mary said, lost in her own thoughts. My uncle Benjamin would be more alarmed than my father if he knew. How does your uncle Benjamin feel? Jeremy interrupted, his features tensing in concern. Not well, Mary replied, frowning. His left arm has given out along with the leg. You mean, he cannot move the left arm now. He has no feeling in it. It is completely numb, he says. His entire left side is paralyzed. And how are his spirits? Jeremy asked. Hard to tell, Mary replied thoughtfully. He is as difficult and cantankerous as ever. He is not a man to give in to illness or affliction, she sighed. Despite his strong spirit, he is as helpless as a baby. He is lucky to have you as a nurse, Jeremy replied, his eyes lighting up. And before Mary could cry out or protest, he leaned over and pressed his mouth against hers. Closing her eyes, Mary returned the kiss eagerly. This is not proper. This isn't right. But I do not care, she thought. Edward, please wait for me, Mary pleaded. Don't walk so fast. Twigs snapped beneath her shoes as she hurried to catch up to him. Sorry, Edward said, turning to her. He pulled up a long, straight reed with his good hand and stuck one end in his mouth. I was thinking about something. Mary stepped up beside him breathlessly. About your father? Edward nodded. A bird cawed loudly above their heads. Mary gazed up into a red sunset sky to see two large blackbirds standing side by side on a low limb. Are blackbirds good luck or bad luck? she asked her cousin lightly. Bad luck, I believe, he replied thoughtfully. Black is the color of death, is it not? You do not have to be so gloomy, Mary complained. I asked you to come out for a walk to cheer you up. Sorry, he frowned. I am gloomy. I cannot help it, Mary. Because of your arm, Edward? It will heal. No, he replied glancing down at the heavy sling. 
I am worried about my father, and Rebecca, and— Rebecca, Mary interrupted, stepping over a tree stump. Is Rebecca ill? Edward shook his head. No, but she seems so weary all the time, so exhausted, so dispirited. She seems so different to me. I think she is tired, Mary told him. Ezra is not an easy child. Edward didn't reply. They continued their walk through the woods in silence. The last rays of sunlight slid between the slender trees, casting rippling blue shadows at their feet. It is nearly dinner time, Edward said finally, chewing on the end of the reed. Rebecca will worry. Let us head back, Mary agreed, running her fingers along the trunk of a tall oak as she turned around. I tried to speak to my father this afternoon, Edward told her, letting her take the lead. I needed to speak to him about the receipts for the store, but he would only talk about his paralyzed arm and leg. Oh! They had walked into a swarm of buzzing gnats. Mary raised her hands to shield her eyes. She quickened her pace, nearly stumbling over a jagged white rock in her path. It is so strange about father, Edward continued, still scratching his neck. Even though the gnats have been left behind, he feels perfectly fine. He seems to be in good health. He has no pain. And yet, perhaps his strength will return, Mary said hopefully. She stopped and turned to him. You seem so troubled, cousin. You can talk of nothing but our family's gloomy problems and mishaps. Everything was going so well for us, Edward replied with emotion. We were all so happy. And now, all of a sudden, he stopped walking. Mary saw his eyes grow wide and his mouth drop open. The reed fell to his feet. Edward, what is it? She turned as he pointed. At first, she thought the yellow glow was the sun poking between the trees. But she quickly remembered that the sun was nearly down. This yellow glow was too bright, too fiery. Fire, Edward screamed. The flames reflected in his frightened eyes. The woods are on fire. No, Mary cried, grabbing his good arm. Edward, look. Inside the glowing fireball, a figure writhed. Someone is trapped in the flames, Mary shrieked. 